1: Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I am your host, Janine Gardner, and it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you back or a massive high five if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is all about exploring how successful individuals find their point of difference and their passion, what drives them, and their superpower. We are all about how do we unleash the brilliance of ourselves, our teams, each other, and organizations. And today, it's a real pleasure to bring to you Tony Wilson. We had a great chat around the difference between uh, talent and skill and And fundamentally, the effort that you need to invest to make sure that that skill that we've all got turns into results. Our debate, our conversation is all around human performance, but most importantly, high performance. And there are so many wonderful insights and words of wisdom um, in this conversation. It absolutely is one that is well worth grabbing a cup of coffee, a cup of tea or your drink of choice to join in this conversation. We talk about the internal pressures that we put under ourselves or put on ourselves to succeed, the difference between uh, those that do succeed versus those that don't, um, the fact that the people that succeed are those that fall in love with the process and how we need to start rewarding effort versus outcome. Tony Wilson, my guest for today, has a passion for human performance and he spent his entire working life helping organizations, teams and individuals perform at their best. Originally a performance coach for elite athletes and sporting teams throughout Australia and the USA, uh, Tony combines cutting edge performance science with contemporary management theory to put a unique slant on high performance in and out of the office. With a focus on high performance, he works with leaders around the world to help create the environment for their people to thrive and works with individuals on managing their own performance and productivity you're really in for a treat today. Uh, Please enjoy this awesome conversation that I have with the incredible Tony Wilson. Good morning, Tony. Welcome to the Unleashing Brilliance podcast. It's fabulous to have you here.
0: Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: I'm really excited to, to dig into your level of expertise, um, your passion for human performance and, uh, really helping people play that, that bigger game. Um, is fascinating and I can't wait to to explore that and some of your learnings and share that with our listeners. But before we do, um, let's go right back to the very beginning or as far back as you can remember, Tony. Um, where, where did it all start? Where did you grow up?
0: Um, I grew up in Queensland uh, on the beaches of the Sunshine Coast, which was fantastic and uh, was heavily involved in sport Uh, as a young kid up there and um, ended up earning a scholarship to a private school uh, in Brisbane. And to be honest, that was probably my first real, um, you know, when I had kind of notions of being able to perform really well and, and that sort of thing because what happened is, um, you know, when you get a scholarship to a school, you have this pressure to be able to kind of deliver on that and especially I came from a family that could not afford a private school, so I kind of had this pressure of being able to fulfil my capabilities of this scholarship in order to stay at this school that I really loved.
1: What What sport were you... Were you good at? What was your What was your sport?
0: So I was a runner. I was a 100 and 200 metre sprinter and that translated pretty well over into uh, rugby union as well when I was young. So they were the two sports that I got the scholarship of school for.
1: Excellent. And did you how, – how far did you take your sport?
0: Uh, as a sprinter, I went to the World Junior Games, which is like the under 20 um, world championships. Um, and in rugby, I kinda gave that away once I left school because I wanted to focus on running.
1: And probably look after your physicality. I've got two boys that both play rugby and they've been playing since they're about four or five. And I look at them and go, Oh my gosh, you're going to co- you're already costing me a fortune in physio fees. You're gonna cost yourself <laughs> a
0: fortune in surgery
1: as you go. <laughs> that's
0: ex- that's exactly right. Although, you know, sprinters are pretty high maintenance. <laughs> so while um, while well, 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 while rugby players tend to just ignore injuries until they get really bad and have to go to the physio, the uh, <laughs> sprinters will be like on that physio bed as soon as they have an inkling of something wrong with them.
1: Well, you gotta you gotta look after those uh, those ligaments and those legs and those yeah. muscles. <laughs> so, can you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up?
0: Um, do you know. From when I was really young, I wanted to be a professional athlete. That's what I really wanted to do. Um, as I got older, I realized that that probably wasn't going to happen for me. Um, and so I tended to do the next best thing, which was to be involved with professional sports as a performance coach.
1: Mm, mm, cool. And what does, what does a performance coach mean? What does that term mean uh, when it comes to sport? Yeah, it's a
0: pretty varied term to be honest. So my career started out as what we call a strength and conditioning coach. And so, you know, I went to uni and did a uh, degree. My undergrad degree is in science with a major in physiology. And then I went out and um, worked with different teams and different athletes on physical preparation. Um, that really morphed for me into something kind of, uh, bigger and to me more interesting than that. So, uh, a couple of the teams that I worked with very early on up here in Queensland were, um, the Brisbane Broncos and the Queensland Bulls, and which is the cricket team. And they, you know, I, I got really, really fascinated by this fact that if you looked across all of these sporting teams in just about any sport, you'd find that fitness, strength, speed, skill levels would all be pretty much the same. And I got really interested to understand then what was the difference between teams and individuals that did really well and those that didn't do it as well. If we all, if they all kind of have very, very similar raw materials, what are the things that make the successful teams and athletes really successful and what are the things that sort of tend to hold them back?
1: And what sort of things did you uncover? Um... By exploring that, what does make the difference?
0: Yeah, so I, you know, I think there's two really important things at each end of the spectrum. So when we look at teams, creating that culture of high performance, creating an environment where people can turn up and just absolutely do their best work every day and are encouraged to do their best work every day is really, really paramount to getting the most out of teams. Um, when we look at individuals you know, it comes back to just that strict work ethic. And for years, I tried, tried, kind of struggled with how this sort of fits into a framework. And, you know, a few years ago, I read Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, and she gave the most elegant equation for how this actually works. And her equation comes in these two parts. And what she says is, you know, when we look at the relationship between talent and results, we find that talent times effort equals skill and we need this kind of base level of skill to be successful. And then the second part of that equation which flows on from that is that skill times effort equals results. And the really important thing in that double up of that equation is we have these two moments where effort really counts. You know, we take our innate talent and combine it with effort and we get a level of skill. And then we take that skill and combine it with effort and we get these kind this level of result. And I think that's unbelievably important. And, you know, I think one of the most, one of the biggest things that separates in sport and in business, the people that really, really make it versus the people that just do really well, is just this notion of, you know, how do I work both you know, at the right level in terms of volume and frequency, but also how do I do the right work? You know, how do I do the things that kind of make the biggest impact? And one of the things that, you know, really, one of you know, we all have these learning moments in our careers. And one of these moments was, I remember being at um, training uh, with um, a sporting team and there was a, like one of the world's best athletes that was in that team, you know, would turn up to training early, do two hours worth of individual work, just working on skills and that sort of thing and areas of weakness. And one of the younger players came up to me and turned up literally five minutes before training. We used to have this, this saying and the saying was, if you turn up five minutes early, you're actually 10 minutes late, right? And the whole premise behind that was that you can't turn up with five minutes to go and be in the team huddle, putting your shoes on and getting ready because you're not really paying attention and you're not ready to perform. So I kind of said that that to this to this kid that you know turned up late, and you know I explained to him like you you know this is the example you've got this benchmark athlete over here who's the best in the world at what they do. They've been here for two hours before you even think about you know coming to practice. And this young kid said to me, "Well, do you know what? He gets paid a million dollars a year. If I got paid a million dollars a year, I would turn up two hours early as well." It was just one of those moments where you think. It's amazing how people don't get this. Here's someone that thinks that, you know, when you get paid a million dollars a year, it means you work harder. But the thing he doesn't understand is the reason that guy is getting paid a million dollars a year is because he does turn up two hours early and he's been doing that his whole life. And that whole notion of, you know, reward for effort, I think, is often misconstrued in that way.
1: Oh, that's I just love what you've shared there. It's it's interesting. I have, as I shared earlier, I've got two boys um, and both have a very different attitude to sport. Uh my youngest, who's only eleven, is absolutely obsessed with rugby. And he's the one that gets to the field half an hour before. Um, I can still remember it, probably about seven. He kicked off because he wanted to pull up bar. And every morning he would get out of bed and do his pull-ups. You know, his coach would say, "Kara, you know what? If you can throw the ball to the whatever the opposite was that he was throwing, you'll actually be really good at your position all weekend throwing, 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 throwing. Um, He studies the sport. Like there's no kids' TV for him. He will literally watch the game. And study and know every single player. And um, it was really interesting because we were in, um, my husband was having a drink locally when we were allowed to go out and uh, bumped into uh, one of the Wallabies players. And uh, the other, the brother of this Wallaby player, plays locally too. And uh, Jason was having a chat with him and he said, My brother is actually a better player than I am. It's just that I consistently made the effort and I practiced. And I think that's the key. There comes a point where talent is no longer enough. There comes a point in your, whether it be your sporting career or your professional career, um, where you get so far based on talent or skill, but yeah. it's what is that tipping point? What turns you from being amateur to pro? Yeah. And what you're saying is it's, it's, it's that effort, it's that continued commitment to mastering whatever your craft or your skill is.
0: Yeah, yeah. And do you know, like we used to, within these um, elite programs, I used to work with development athletes as well. And these kids kind of just coming out of school or maybe, you know, in the last couple of years of school that have been identified as kind of high potential in that sport. And I, it was I could tell you that like clockwork, every year we would have an intake of these younger athletes. And if you gave me some background on them, if you said, OK, this kid over here, he is, you know, super talented, has been talented since he was 10 years old and then you've got this kid over here who is not quite as talented but obviously now he is in this elite program i could tell you right then and there that the kid that's talented is probably not going to quite make it and the kid that's not as talented probably will because he's the one that's learned to work hard and it you know this is a really good exploration of what we actually teach people as leaders as parents as you know coaches or anything like that and that is just trying to focus on this notion of the only thing that really matters is putting in the work and putting in the right work, right? And, you know, I was having this conversation with someone the other day who said, oh, you know, I've got this young kid who doesn't want to do anything that they're not good at, right? And he Mm. said, um, you know, know, because rugby's been cancelled for this year for their school, I want him to go for a run, but he doesn't want to run because he's not good at running. You know, he mm-hmm. has to run, he wants, he's meant to run with this running group, but he doesn't want to do that because he's not very good at running. And this person went on to blame, I think like a lot of people do, technology, right? Are oh, these kids, they just want instant gratification because they have these phones and that sort of thing. And I said, but what do we reward them for, right? We reward them for doing well and we rarely reward kids for actually putting in effort. And he said, Oh, I don't really reward them for doing well. And, you know, we kind of went through a few things. And the reality is that as a young kid, if you make the A team for rugby as a 10 or 11 year old, like your boys may have, everyone says, oh, you're so good because you've made the A team. But you may not have actually done anything to to make the A team. you probably just possibly bigger, possibly faster, possibly just have a bit more of an innate skill or we're interested in it younger or whatever it is. And so even from that point of view, we reward for outcomes as opposed to rewarding for effort that we put in. And I think that's a really, really dangerous thing for kids, for staff, team members to all learn is that, you know, the only thing that matters is the outcome. I think that's really dangerous.
1: Are you seeing a flip at all in the work that you're doing corporately from reward for outcome being flipped to reward for effort? Or do you think we're still in that mindset?
0: I think we are still absolutely tied up in two things that I, that really inhibit performance in the workplace. One of those is rewarding outcomes. And the other one is rewarding individual results when you want people to work as a team. So I think both of these things, again, are really dangerous. And we'll get even more dangerous, you know, post the situation we're in now, which is, you know what, we might, all we have might be effort after this, you know, and we're in the middle of this COVID-19 virus. And after this, it's going to be hard for a lot of people to get results in certain industries, And so we have to fall back on, what are we doing to get those results? Are we doing the right thing? And I think, um, you know, and you'll, a lot of people argue and they're kind of stuck in this mindset that says, well, at the end of the day, it's the results that count, right? It's the results that we kind of really want. So if they are not getting the results, why would we, we reward people? And the other side of that is to say, okay, if you have a sales team and you have a guy that calls 20 people a day that goes to, you know, 30 meetings a week, to have coffee with people to try and get business, and they just miss their target because maybe we're having a, you know, a bad run of the economy or whatever it is, or there's just not demand for our product. And then you have another guy that sits at his desk and all he does all day is watch uh, surfing videos on YouTube. But then out of the blue, a client calls that he's never met before in his life. Just he just happens to answer the phone, and he gets a deal that puts him over his budget. Now, if you're just rewarding outcomes, you're going to reward the guy that spent the whole quarter watching surfing videos versus the guy that went out and did the effort. And the, prob- the, t- the problem there is twofold. Number one, the guy that watches the surfing videos all the time thinks that he can just do that and get amazing outcomes. And then the guy that put in the effort sees that the other guy gets rewarded and says, well, what's the point in putting in this effort? And I can guarantee you that over the long term, the person that gets the greatest sustainable results is the person that puts in the effort, right? And now you've kind of, you've defeated that at two ends of the spectrum.
1: Mm. Mm. so so I'm imagining there's people listening to this like me now who are nodding in agreement and going absolutely Some of those people may be the ones that put in the effort and don't seem to get anywhere. Uh, I mean we've all I've worked I worked corporately for 20 years before I went out and started building my own business and in the particularly in that corporate period of my life, I can still remember people that got promoted and you looked and you're like how did you do that? you you know you've got. <laughs> So, so what how I've got two questions for you one yeah. is how how do people keep going how do they uh, keep motivating themselves when it may feel like everywhere they look they're getting knocked back and then yeah. the second question is do you think that some people are just innately more driven and motivated and resilient or is it something that you can learn to become better at
0: Yeah, I think some people are innately more driven. And when we say innately, like the reality is that something may have happened in their childhood or whatever, or their teens that kind of helped them be that way. But it's definitely something you can learn. And I think there's some really quite easy lessons for it as well. You know, if we think of... If we think of motivation, well, there's two things I'd say to this, right? So, number one, if we believe that we need to be motivated to act, that is a really difficult way to perform consistently, right? Because, you know, when I worked with athletes, we had this saying, and the saying was that feelings don't dictate outcomes, right? And so, what that actually means is if you're waiting to feel really good, you're waiting to be motivated and feel 100% and your body feels fantastic for you to be able to perform well, then you've got to resign yourself to the fact that that might happen once in your entire life. And it very well may not happen on that one day in August and September at the Olympics where you've been training for four years and this is your time, right? And so you've got to kind of understand that the thing that dictates outcomes is action, not feelings. And if we translate that into motivation, we say that, okay, sometimes I will be motivated, sometimes I won't be. If that's the case, am I okay saying that sometimes I'm willing to perform well and sometimes I'm not because you're kind of saying the same thing if I'm saying I need to be motivated? So then we have to understand what actually does drive motivation in the absence of the feeling. And quite often that thing is just positive action. And You know, a great example is, you know, wake up in the morning, I don't feel like going for a run. I say I'm unmotivated, I feel, you know, really apathetic, I couldn't be bothered. So if that dictates my action, then I don't go for a run. But if I can still get my shoes on and get out the door and start running, then all of a sudden, three minutes down the road, that probably completely changes the way I think and feel, right? So, you know, we have this whole uh, science, that is called embodied cognition, which just means when I do positive things, it actually changes the way I think and feel instead of the way that I think and feel driving the thing that I do. So I'd say that as a start. And then I would say the second part is that motivation is usually a progress problem. And what I mean by that is that you rarely see anyone that gets really good at something that makes progress that feels like they're doing well and they're constantly improving, you really see those people lose motivation. We usually stay really motivated for those things. Um, unless we get to, you know, the exponential point of that, which is I'm so good at this now, I just find it boring, right? <laughs> so unless we get there, you know, that those that that feeling of progress is the thing that often keeps us motivated. And While most of our outcomes are very long-term, whether it's losing weight, making sales, getting more clients, whatever it is, when they're long-term, we don't get that feeling of progress. So the thing we have to work out is how do we get back to feeling that feeling of progress every day? And I can do that by really understanding the things that I can do that make me successful, right, Mm. and breaking that down. So if I say, you know, if, I, if I'm if i Janine and I start this corporate business and I need to get clients and I'm really keen to do that, but I have those days where I go, oh, I haven't got a new client in like three or four weeks. You know, what am I doing? I need to go back to process. I need to go, okay, here are the things I can do. I can make three phone calls a day. I can send six emails a day. I can do all these things. And funnily enough, part of human nature is that if I... I make a progress chart, anyone that's re- that raised kids understands the value of this for kids, but we do it as adults, it still has an effect on us, right? So if I literally just have a ticker box piece of paper that I say three phone calls, six emails, whatever it is, and I tick them off as I go humans get a real shot of that kind of reward chemical dopamine for doing those sorts of things. And if we can focus on that, then we get daily progress. We get small incremental improvements. And the reality is that the people that have the most success long-term are the people that fall in love with the process. Mm. Most people don't even really understand what the process is. Do you know what I mean? They haven't really broken it down. And going back to that kind of you know, talent versus effort versus results equation, if we could kind of break that down into reasons we lose motivation or reasons why we don't make progress, it kind of comes down to this. The only two reasons that we don't make progress is either that we're not doing the work or we're doing the wrong work, right? So we're either not putting in the effort or the effort we put in is misplaced. So anyone that is failing to kind of, you know, really see those results I'd ask those two questions. Number one, am I genuinely putting in the effort? And that's where having that process comes in really handy because I can say if I am or not. Like I can easily, if I don't have a process, I can get to the end of the week and say, did I put in effort this week? And it's easy for me to say yes. But if my process is that I make those three phone calls and six emails a day, I can get to the week and have an honest conversation as to if I actually put in the effort or not. And if that's not working, then I need to go back and I need to find out what the right effort is.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I had, uh, I've had i got a, a personal example of that. Only in the last couple of weeks, I woke up um, and it was one, I think it must have been last week, and it was one, it was the early stages of us experiencing COVID-19 here in Sydney and lockdown starting yeah. to happen. And I had that moment where I woke up and I went, oh, God, oh, really? Groundhog Day. Um, (laughs) I really could just roll over and all of the social media feeds have been talking about, oh, let's enjoy watching marathons of Netflix and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I I got out of bed and I pulled on my gym gear and I went downstairs, all the house was sleeping and I did my uh, 45-minute hit session by logging online and then I got up into the office and I got to work. And I was sharing this with uh, with my husband, actually, and he turned around and he said, Well, you sh- maybe that's when you do need to roll over and just, you know, write off the day. And I went, No, actually, that's when you <laughs> don't do that stuff.
0: Yeah. And so,
1: exactly. And this, I've learned, I've absolutely learned that. Um, about myself. that I am absolutely one of those that just keeps going, just keeps, it's almost like when days are bad, you go back to the basic habits, go back to the stuff that keeps you going. I'm curious, Tony, for you, have you, um, when when did all this become real for you from a personal perspective, not in terms of what you were seeing from athletes or clients, but what about yourself? Have you got an example of where um, almost maybe through your own failure of not not doing this stuff, that you actually learned that this is the way to achieve high performance?
0: Yeah, 100%. So, um, as you know now, I started uh, in sport and I was really, really lucky. I literally fell into some amazing jobs. Um and then had some really great mentors, and it was something that came really easy to me working with sporting teams was really, really easy. But I got to this point where I'd done a lot of really great things within sport. I was kind of I was feeling like I was a bit bored with it and wasn't sure of my future. I looked at all the people that had stayed in sport for a very long time, and I didn't really want to end up there. Um, And while there's some amazing things about working in sport, there's also some really, really ordinary things as well. And I started to think, what else can I do? And that's when I kind of, I went back to uni and did an MBA just, you know, with no real idea of what I would like to do and kind of just fell into the stuff that I'm doing now because I had a couple of sponsors of some of the sporting teams that I worked with that came and said, hey, look, would you work with our leadership team or with our staff or whatever? And again, really lucky, just found a whole lot of clients through that, made the switch from sport into corporate, and then those clients kind of dried up. So this is around about the GFC. And unfortunately for me, in a lot of ways, I was like that talented kid that didn't put in the work, but the reason I didn't put in the work was because I'd just been really lucky and things had fallen into place for me. So I really had to work out what that actually is for me. So just like you, okay, so I'm in this corporate space now. I've pretty much done the whole, you know, left sport behind. I'm not going back there. I need to make this work what does that look like and i really had to go and find some mentors and find some people that who had done it before and had to say what is it that you do that gets you clients what is it that you do that makes you really really good at what you do and then find out what those things are and break them down to for, for myself and exactly you know it, it's exactly the same kind of story you know you wake up every morning and you go okay i've got no idea where my next piece of business is going to come from Um, I've got no idea where my next clients are going to come from. And that's all in a lot of ways extremely unmotivating. But what can I do today that actually moves me forward? And so it was that kind of that failure of my own of not really stopping to think of what the process is and what I could do that actually made me successful because of just pure luck of being, you know, in the right place at the right time. And I had to actually go back and really work that out for myself.
1: Mm, Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Now, people, um, People that are listening in here, um, I'm sure uh are- and nodding their heads and going all oh, well and good. I do because of the time that this podcast will go out and the the world that we're living in, which whether you're listening to this and we're in the middle of still trying to work out what COVID-19 means or whether yeah. you're listening to this on the other side, um, which as it will end at some point, um, from your perspective as an expert in the area of high performance, having worked with leaders around the world to, to create environments where people are thriving and, and managing their own performance and productivity and as well as working with high performing athletes what are maybe three three tips of bits of advice tips that you would give to individuals uh, right now to help them uh, manage their productivity and performance during these massively volatile complex and uncertain times that we're all living in
0: yeah yeah well do you know what if i was to give three I would kind of break it up into um the three different i guess situations that we're seeing at the moment so number one would be if you're a leader and you need to manage people i'd say that the biggest tips there are number one just step back as far as you can and just give people those outcomes to manage do you know what i mean just say you know what By the end of the week, what do you think that you could have done, you know, outside of the business as usual stuff. If you have some, you know, service level agreement stuff that just needs to happen every single day, that's almost a given. But if we're working on projects and we're doing value add stuff, where can you get those by the end of the week? Just agree with people on that and then just let them go. Let them do it. Don't worry about how they do it. Don't worry if it takes them three days or four days or five days to do it. You know, if you agreed to that and you're happy with that outcome, then just do that. By the same token, I'd also do this if I was a leader. I'd make sure that my interactions with people aren't just transactional. Because sometimes when we go to a technology-based transaction, whether that's a video conference or a phone call or an email or whatever, we kind of become really transactional because it's an efficient form of communication. We still gotta be able to ask people how their weekend is and you know what's been going on and show me a picture of your dog and you know whatever it is, those ways that we interact with people. I'm really afraid that we're going to lose those. So that's from a leadership point of view. If you are a person um, working from home, I would say keep as much routine as possible. Specifically, I would talk about people who are working from home and also um, have their kids at home. right? So here's, I think, the number one thing you can do for this. And that is make yourself a schedule at the start of the day Make your kids a schedule at the start of the day and make sure that you schedule into that some downtime where you are going to connect with them. The biggest problem I see with people working from home is that they try to do – they end up doing two things really badly, and that is they try to engage with their kids and do their work at the same time, whereas sometimes you're just better off to say, hey, kids, I'm going to put on this movie – and for two hours I'm going to absolutely nail this work and then I'm going to give you my full attention. So we kind of do this thing where we tend to divide our attention between two things instead of giving one thing our complete attention and then giving the other thing our complete attention. So I would say make sure you do that if you're working at home with kids. And then the last group I would say is kind of the group that I feel is being really neglected through this whole You know, through this um, whole COVID nineteen scenario, you look on Facebook and all you see is people saying, "Oh, working at home, you know, working from home with kids is so tough." And then you see, "Hey, support small businesses. They might have to go into lockdown, so you know, go and get your takeaways and do all these things to try to support them while they're still open." And we've got this whole other group of people who have just lost their jobs or been stood down or have a business that actually can't open, and all they're doing is sitting at home, and You know, like you said before, you have these memes that say, you know, hey, you know, all you have to do is sit at home and watch Netflix. It ain't that hard. Well, for those people, it actually is really hard, you know. So I would say for those people, go back, do exactly what I said before, and find a process that is going to help you be at a good point at the end of this. And maybe that is, maybe that part of that process is connecting with people in your network. Maybe part of the process is learning something new and then just devote part of your day to doing that set those little targets okay i'm going to get on linkedin and connect with 3 people ask them how they're going or i'm going to make just one phone call to someone or i'm going to look at you know what jobs are out there and i'm going to you know i'm going to you know contact one person about a job or i'm going to do an hour of reading or 15 minutes of online learning or whatever it is if you can give yourself that structure during the day and if you can have that feeling of just doing something positive that makes progress for you then I think you're going to be in a far better position than if you just try to, you know, you either A, try to ignore it or B, just go into that spiral of your own, you know, our own catastrophic thoughts of what's going to happen in three months or six months or 12 months or whatever. Just having that positive action is really, really important.
1: And what you've taught right there is skill times effort, Equals results, um, Tony. It's been absolutely awesome um, having this chat with with you, and I will be sharing this podcast with my eleven year old because I think he's going to take some inspiration from your words too. Um, my last question, my last question. Um, you know, we, we always get asked, "What do you want to be when you grow up? What's next? Uh, what are you doing next? What's the big dream?" My my question is actually, "What do you?" Tony, when we talk about unleashing your brilliance, what do you want to be remembered for?
0: It's a great question. I want to be remembered for helping people just be at their best in all aspects of their life. I think one of the biggest things that I have been able to kind of understand over my journey and working with Athletes and business people and working with business people and ending up talking about, you know, home life and that sort of thing. It's just that our ability to perform well in all of those areas consists of the exact same skills, you know, and if we can master those skills in one area, we can apply them in another area. If we can master those skills at work, we can apply them in home relationships or personal goals and that sort of thing. And I would love people to really understand that. Those performance skills are things that firstly we can learn and secondly we can just apply in everything we do and therefore get this kind of, you know, this, this exponential increase in our performance across all the three really important areas of work, home and relationships and self.
1: It's been absolutely fabulous chatting to you, Tony. Thank you so much for so willingly sharing all of your words of wisdom, uh, things that we can put into practice, right now today which is great and things that we can all individually uh, and as leaders um, help the people around us uh, in terms of uh, performing at a higher level. Um, I will let people know how to contact you. I'm sure you'll get a few questions. Thank you so much, Tony. It's been awesome having you online. Thank you so much for having me.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. Follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more. Visit her website, janinegarner.com.au Brilliant people, extraordinary
1: results.